0: Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This morning I am going to be preaching from Nehemiah 6, and as you turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 6, I want to just make a couple of opening remarks. First of all, I want to assure you that what you're going to hear today, I don't want you to feel worried, but I want you to feel aware What you're going to hear today um, may sound heavy, and I don't want you to take this on as a heavy weight, but um, an invitation to pray. And I want to also comment that this would be an easier passage to go and be a guest preacher somewhere and preach than to preach in your own church. However, the Lord has us and had this scheduled um, to preach from Nehemiah, Today And our circumstances um, make us just in awe of God's providence of that. And so um, we'll start with prayer. Lord, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that the battle belongs to you. And Lord, we look to you now. We turn our eyes to you and we thank you for the faith that you give us and that you stir in us through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would empower me to preach, that you would empower all of us to receive what you're saying and to respond in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nehemiah 6. I'm going to read um, verses 1 to 16, and then just um, say a couple of comments about the last couple of verses in this chapter. So, Nehemiah 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodia and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And then it goes on to talk about how that there's communication between the nobles in Judah and letters being sent back and forth to, Do- to Tobiah because there was an inner relationship of marriage with Tobiah and his son and some of the um, God's people. and that they kept reporting these reports back to um, Nehemiah, and then they would go back and tell Tobiah what Nehemiah said. And all along, it was trying to intimidate him. And so there was much um, in the way of this outside king not only sending attacks and intimidations inside, but actually working within the people to um, bring this intimidation to Nehemiah. So those are the comments I want to make. And now I want you to imagine with me, it's getting ready to be back to school time. And just imagine with me that um, as we got ready for school and sending our students off to school, that we heard about a situation where a gang of kids was um, gathering to bully another child. And imagine that this bullying group was coming from a different school, a rival school, and um, was intimidating this child and saying, "Come, come meet us on the playground after school. We want to meet with you after school. Come to the playground. We want to meet." And then imagine that not only was this happening, that there were these threats, but they were these this gang of kids, these bullies, were starting to talk to the kids' friends and get the kids to turn on them. And then imagine that this student. School starts, and he goes in and he's going to talk to one of the peer listeners, kind of peer counseling that's set up and this peer listener is a safe person and imagine that this peer listener said, "You know what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to go to the playground um, after school today." Well, we would if we heard about this and that this peer listener was in cahoots. With this gang of kids from the other school, and they were all ganging up to, um, on this one child, wouldn't we all take action? We would all want to go and stand with that child and um, help them in this time when it seems like so many people are coming against. Bullying is an awful thing. Well, Nehemiah was facing more than bullying. <clears throat> Nehemiah was facing like terrorist threats. Is what was happening in our text. And so, um, I think that we can feel the pain of what it would feel like if all of a sudden we kind of put ourselves in this, in this story of what's happening with Nehemiah. And as you'll recall, Nehemiah is a humble man. He had been the cupbearer to the king and he heard a report about his own homeland and how it was just in rubble. And the wall of protection around it was not intact. And he had prayed and he had fasted and he had sought the Lord and he felt like the Lord gave him the assignment to go and to help rebuild the wall. And he had to ask special permission, risking his life to bring this request to the king. And then he had um, moved into a step of faith and obedience and supplies were given and so forth. And then He didn't come in saying, oh, I'm this great person, and I'm going to do this great work here. No, he came humbly and didn't say anything about why he was there. He just came in. He was there for several days. He quietly at night went out and assessed the situation. He talks to the leaders. The Lord continues to just pour on favor. The um, hand of God was upon him. And so he's this humble leader that, as hard as the work is, He's mobilized these complacent people to get into action and to start helping themselves and start to um, live out. And they're not going to be in this victim mentality anymore. They're going to serve the Lord because God is with them. And they're building the wall and the threats and the opposition keeps coming. And um, so this is Nehemiah who's working day and night. He's not even um, taking off his work clothes uh, he's serving he's generous he's he's not taking the portions that he could demand, but he's making sure that people are fed during this hard famine time. This is our nehemiah this is our um student that's getting um, bullied and tempted and taunted to come out um to get attacked and so what we see the trouble in this in this passage the problem we see is that um the kingdom work is progressing, which isn't a problem, it's a good thing, but it's a problem for the enemy who hates God's kingdom and doesn't want it to advance. And so the enemy is trying to take out the leader. The enemy has got um the leader right in their um spot. They're they're looking through like a a rifle scope. They've got him um scoped in and they're trying to take him out. Well, <clears throat> Scripture tells us in Zechariah thirteen seven, strike the shepherd, and sheep will be scattered. Jesus quoted that in Matthew twenty-six. And so um, the problem is the enemy's trying to take out the leader. And God's grace in this passage of Scripture is that he continues to expose the plans of the enemy to Nehemiah, as Nehemiah prays and obeys and keeps on working in his kingdom assignment. And so I want to just point out a few of the tactics of the enemy and how the Lord helped Nehemiah in each situation. And so first there was this um, attempt to distract him and to draw him into danger. These persistent requests came five times, come out into this isolated area, two and a half days journey north, away from the work. And how does the Lord um, give grace to, to help Nehemiah? Well, he exposes the plan. Somehow in verse 2, Nehemiah knows that the intent is to harm him. And in verse 3, the Lord helps him to discern and decline. And so he stays focused on God's assignment. No, I have a mighty project. This wasn't a boastful thing he was saying. He's like, there is so much work. I can't possibly leave right now because the work is going to stop if I do. Now, why is it that the work would stop? Is it because Nehemiah is doing all the building of the wall? No, he's coaching, he's encouraging, he's um, giving leadership to all these different working groups. And so God gives grace to help Nehemiah just say no. He says no, and um, the enemy wants him to stop the work, and Nehemiah realizes and says no and just declines the invitation over and over and over again. All right, so the first one was distraction and drawn to danger. The second tactic of the enemy is to dishonor and to bring disunity. And so you'll notice that they sent an open letter with the fifth invitation, and this open letter says, hey, it's reported that you're going to make yourself king. And, hey, what all you want is you want control, and you've already got your prophets that are ready to announce you as king. And this is basically revolt against the Persian government, and you're going to be in big trouble. That's the gist of what their letter is about. And so it's an open letter, which means that all along the way, people were able to read that, and they made sure that they publicized, hey, Nehemiah is trying to make himself king. Nehemiah is trying to be in control. And so they're slandering his character. And really what they're doing is projecting their very own desires to be in control. And they're projecting that on Nehemiah. And it can cause God's people to maybe doubt Nehemiah's character. Remember, they're under great stress and strain. You don't always discern as well. And so that could create disunity within um, the people that are building the wall. And create great fear because, remember, they had already gone through a time of um, their people being taken into exile and the walls destroyed years ago, and now they're trying to rebuild. And this idea that this is going to cause us legal trouble with the Persian government um, could create great, great fear. You'll remember that last week, Pastor Dave's message said that um, the love and unity of God's people would be the witness to a fractured and fearful world. And so the enemy is trying to strike the leader to bring disunity among the people and fear to disrupt the witness to the world. Now, God's grace is that he helps Nehemiah to just deny this publicly and to not engage with this slander. And so Nehemiah in verse eight says, nothing like what you're saying is happening. And so he makes a public denial. And then he um, recognizes that God just exposes that what they're trying to do is to frighten us. And so there's this discernment and this knowledge that um, this is what the enemy's trying to do, trying to frighten us. And I want you to know that there's no big, like, Nehemiah does not get pulled into and sucked into a debate trying to defend himself point by point. He just dismisses it. He allow, he trusts the Lord to defend his honor. He doesn't feel the need to. He just dismisses it. This is not true. And he walks free of that time-consuming um, debate that could, could happen if he tried to start defending himself. The third tactic that I see the enemy doing is um, the demonic works through the unholy alliances by having these prophets prophesy false prophecies of a death threat. And so Nehemiah um, goes to this this prophet, and a prophet is supposed to be much more than a peer listener. A prophet is supposed to be somebody who's a listener to God and brings messages of encouragement and strengthening to a person. And because of the unholy relationship. That these outside kings had with inside um, prophets. They spoke false prophecy. So false guidance. Just go on into that temple. They're going to come kill you at night. They're coming to kill you at night. Let's go into the temple and close the door. So just very, very intimidating. Scary. And God graciously helps nehemiah discern carefully that this is not of god this is evil in verses 11 and 12 i would not run away he's he's saying a person like me that has god's hand is on him and a god call i'm not going to run away from a threat and i'm certainly not going to run into that space in the temple that is reserved for only the priest and so because nehemiah knew god's word he was able to test this prophecy and say this is not from god god wouldn't ask me to do this that would be breaking god's law and so nehemiah obeyed god's word he trusted god to save his life if there was a threat he was trusting god to save him and nehemiah was committed to god's calling and he did not quit he did not walk away from his kingdom assignment as hard and as challenging and as many of these pointed threats that kept coming against him, um, Nehemiah went to prayer twice in this passage. His two prayers in verse 9, strengthen my hands. And in verse 14, God remember and deal with my enemies. And so, friends, it tells us almost kind of as like a, a side in this passage that in 52 days, the wall was completed. And so this restoration of the wall around um, the land there was completed. And it, um, it had an effect on the enemy that I want to make sure that you noticed. That in verse 16, when all of our enemies heard about this, about the wall being completed, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done. With the help of our God. And so when, when God's people complete the assignments and the kingdom work that God calls for, it makes the enemy start shaking in their boots. And remember that the enemy, this is a, an outsider. And at that time, God's people were to be separate from the outside leadership that was worshiping other gods. And so, um, those people recognize, oh, this Almighty God has this power that could help these these um, motley crew of people build, rebuild this wall in 52 days, while they're only able to use one hand because they're carrying a sword in the other, and half of them are standing guard behind the workers, and so they recognize. This is a supernatural feat that just happened in front of us. Now, Nehemiah is going to go on in um, future chapters to talk to us about what happened um, with the celebration of the wall, but it doesn't celebrate it right here, and it's because, as we're going to see in the following chapters, God not only is interested about having that wall rebuilt, but he's very concerned about the restoration of his people and their character and their identity, knowing their identity. All right, so those, um, I want to say now that I've laid out some of these tactics of the enemy and how God gave grace to expose these plans, and I want to ask the question, does this happen today in spiritual leadership? And I'm not talking just about pastors, but I'm talking about church staff. I'm talking about office beers. I'm talking about ministry leaders. Do they get targeted by the enemy? Do they get bullied? Do they get beat up? Do they get taunted? Do they get tried to get pulled into traps? And I want to say yes. And I want to say that with pastoral sensitivity because I recognize that some of you have had fathers and uncles and grandparents, and you've had um, sons and cousins and friends who have been pastors or leaders in church, elders in church, and you know the battles they faced. And perhaps you bear some of the scars um, of some of those battles, maybe some of the fallout of that, some of the grief of that. And, um, and so God's grace be with you even as we carry on in this message. And I also want to give a disclaimer that is every fall and every um, leader that gets taken out just a a casualty of spiritual warfare? And I want to say absolutely not, because some of them fall because of their own sin choices, sin patterns, pride. Um, There's many reasons And so I I I don't want to make this that um, all spiritual leaders, it's a result of spiritual warfare. But I want to say that um, in Nehemiah's example, it gives us a clear example of somebody with clear calling, good character, a man of word and the prayer, and yet he gets targeted for this bullying. And how does this happen? Like, what's some practical examples of how does this happen? Within the church today And so I want to talk about Distraction and danger um, Barna did a poll Of pastors uh, About 1700 pastors Between March and May Of this year And they found that 51% of pastors Reported feeling tired 41% felt exhausted And 39% felt panicked And then there's a, there was a article, Pastor Stress Statistics, from an organization called Soul Shepherding, which said that 80% of pastors will not be in ministry in 10 years. On average, seminary-trained pastors last only 5 years in church ministry, and 100% of 1,050 Reformed and evangel- Evangelical pastors had a colleague leave ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. So with statistics like these, um, how will pastors and staff and elders and deacons and lay leaders be able to carefully discern what God's calling us to do if we're all in this state of being tired and exhausted? And so just like Nehemiah, we're going to need God's grace to help us to recognize when the enemy's coming and attacking. Now I want to talk about slander, how that, um, this is what the enemy did to Nehemiah was tried to dishonor, to create a culture of dishonor. And I want to say that there's an office in the Christian Reformed Church, um, a denominational office, of pastor church resources to help churches navigate conflict within their churches. If there was not a problem with stress and, um, and dishonor, there would not be an agency office dedicated for this purpose. Pete Cesaro is an author and a pastor, former pastor of New Life Church. That um, a number of us have read the book Emotionally Healthy Leadership Emotionally Healthy Spirituality And he tells about how That when his church was new And was growing rapidly That they um, had developed To a point of having two services They were bilingual services And then suddenly They had a church split And 200 people left to start a church Down the street Because of a leadership conflict And he said that that was the beginning of him understanding that there was a relationship between emotional health and spiritual health, and that most must be addressed. Both of those must be addressed, focusing on character, because it's so easy to avoid conflict or to not know how to navigate a difference of opinion, and then suddenly, um, rather than, than having unity, then there's this witness of disunity. A couple of more statistics. 40% of pastors report a serious conflict with a congregation member monthly. There are other people who don't feel comfortable confronting within a congregation, perhaps, and so they, unintendedly, they start what they call the rumor mill. I don't know if you remember VeggieTales, but the rumor mill and how the rumor weed grows. And so, it's very unintentional, but it might start like this. You know, can you listen to me and let me process a problem I'm having with so-and-so? What do you think? Or it might come in the way of a veiled prayer request. Will you pray for so-and-so because I heard blah, 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 blah. Another way that slander and disunity can get started is that perhaps And I've done this, I think that many of us have done this, that we judge others or make snap decisions rather than making observations and asking for clarification. And so slowing down and trying to make observations. But when we don't and we make snap judgments of people, which the Lord tells us not to judge um, lest we be judged, It can start what would be the equivalent of this Nehemiah open letter where it starts gossip and it starts um, disunity. This happens whenever a church changes the focus or really institutes any change. There will be some that rather than asking to talk to leaders, they start to talk to others. Or they start to say things like, it just doesn't feel like the church I used to know or I don't think I'm being fed anymore um, those kind of comments, while if there's something that needs to be worked through, you need to work through it in the proper channels. And when it's not worked through in the proper channels, it plays right into the enemy's hands. Because if you can imagine how many conversations Nehemiah probably had to have with people um, to try to reassure them of, like, no, what they said is I'm, this is not true this is not true and had to probably keep saying over and over to his people, I'm only here because I'm here to serve you and to serve God's purposes. But slander and the effects that it can have, time zapping, take away the focus for kingdom advancement, sharing the good news with those around us because of um, conflict within the church. Finally, this demonic working through unholy alliances and um, bringing false prophecy. Jim Simbola tells the story of when he and his wife were starting Brooklyn Tabernacle, and they were both working other jobs and then trying to serve the community and grow the little church. And out of the blue one night, they got a phone call from somebody, a pastor, I think it was in South Dakota, said, God put it on my wife and my heart to come and help you in your work there. And um, we'll be there within a week. And Jim Sembla thought, well, if the Lord told him, that must be great. And so he and his wife didn't have much money, but they went out and bought steaks, to so that when that couple came, they could serve them the best meal that they could possibly have, even though they had been surviving on rice and mashed potatoes. And so um, all of a sudden, this New couple is there. And within a week's time, they sit Jim Simbola down and say, you're done here. Your work here is finished. We're taking over. And Jim and his wife were like, you've got to be kidding me. What are you saying? We've already talked to a number of your people and they're in agreement with us. Your time here is done. And Jim Simbola thought, this is crazy. I've got to talk to some of my congregation members. Sure enough, this couple had been working the network, and somehow had given this threat and said to Jim Simbola, your time here is done. Jim Simbola said he was scared to death, but he just kept saying no, no. And finally he realized he was up against a spiritual attack and said, in the name of Jesus, you must leave and you must leave now. You may not stay another night in our house. False prophets. Somebody saying that I've got a word from the Lord, but it isn't. Well, that's probably a pretty drastic example but um i've heard um you know pastor dave and i meet with many pastors and we do some mentoring and coaching and i had a pastor say that he had a congregation member so upset about a change that was being proposed and he was an influential um, congregation member and said pastor that's it i'm leaving the church and many are going to follow me And I'll be the first person back as soon as they fire you. Friends, false path. That's not a message of building up, strengthening, encouraging. That's not in the tone and the character of God. Messages to intimidate, to try to stop the work. Maybe another example of a false prophecy Perhaps somebody gets excited about something that they saw, like a different program or something that um, was in a different church or um, a different Bible study, and without praying or discerning or bringing it to the leadership, they just start promoting an idea or even um, just implementing an idea, and it can create false guidance and create um, a disunified approach because Nehemiah had There were each of these people that were working on their own sections of the wall. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. Um, and they, they absolutely volunteered to step into those projects. Church leadership has to coordinate an effort so that we're all moving towards the vision and mission in the same way and move. And it doesn't mean that we're all doing the exact same thing, but there has to be a coordination and there can't be an independence or rogue. A rogue movement. Um, it can it can distract and and cause things not to be coordinated well. False prophets, false guidance, and so in Nehemiah's time, people had moved from complacency to action. Their circumstances were hard. There was a famine. There were threats. People were tired. They're feeling the stress, and um. Then the enemy comes against Nehemiah. At Gold Avenue, we've been mobilized to action. We've organized as a church. We have office bearers and ministry leaders. We've preached through Luke and Acts, and we have a kingdom mission. We know that we're supposed to be um, making disciples of our nation, that our um, our neighborhood, I mean, and our nation and the world, and that we've. Felt like the Lord said start a prayer ministry and be prepared to do healing ministry. And so we've faithfully done that and we've gone together um, into that initiative. We've learned about growing the church and the seven dynamics of cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We've been laying this foundation for years and years. The foundation has been laid. We're ready to build. And then this COVID hits and we've been just like a famine back in Nehemiah's day. Like there's been pressures on us. Amen. Um and then all of a sudden we're um I'm, I'm calling you to prayer because within the last couple of weeks we've noticed that there's been a pattern. It feels like a pattern of attack and we sent out an email a few weeks, oh probably about 10 days ago to our um, office bearers and um, ask them to be praying. And we wanted to ask you to be praying because this is not just the pastors, but within the pastors, the office bearers, staff, and leaders, we've noticed these things and we feel like this is an attack. Um, Interpersonal relationship strain, emotional attacks, like personal vulnerabilities that are being hammered on by the enemy and some are resulting in sin, and others are just left feeling really insecure and weak. There have been relational attacks. Family and extended family stressors are being heightened. There have been physical attacks, pain, um, accidents. There's been a number of people having interrupted sleep at night, and um, just the notice of increased demands and time pressures. And so... Probably two weeks ago, I shared a quote that to disregard prayer is to discard our primary weapon. And so um, church, even as Nehemiah um, back, if you'll remember in Nehemiah 420, it said, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there and our God will fight for us. Today, I'm calling and making a trumpet call. And I hope I'm making it loud and clear that spiritual leaders are under attack within our church and within um, m- many, many churches. And I'm asking that you would come together That, if, in the analogy of bullying, that um, we're feeling beat up and, um, and a sense of spiritual bullying right now, and that you would stand with us. And that you would pray for us. And we thank you very much. Lord, thank you that you give us the um, weapons of our warfare. And they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And Lord, as your people pray, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around Gold Avenue Church. Around all of our leadership. Around all of our congregation members who are likely to also be experiencing varying degrees of spiritual attack. Lord, thank you that you've called us to a work, and we pray that just like Nehemiah and the people there were able to complete the work in a a much shorter time than what would be expected. Lord, we pray for that same kind of supernatural empowerment to complete the work that you've called for us as a church. To you be all the glory